So hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tom and I've got Paul here with me. Hi, Paul. Hello, Tom. And today we're thinking a little bit about 2 Corinthians, uh, the book uh, in uh, September and the upcoming months we're going to be uh, preaching through that in the morning services. So, Paul, um, we're, we're introducing the book now. What do we know about the city of Corinth? What's the setting for this book? Well, Corinth was a very important city in the in the first century, in the days of the Apostle Paul. Um, it's located in South Greece. Um, the ancient city of Corinth, uh, Corinth was destroyed by the Romans, but it was rebuilt in around 44 by, BC um, under the direction of Julius Caesar. So by the time Paul appears there in 50 AD, it's, it's a city that's less than 100 years old. It's a very big city, um, around... 650,000, around the size perhaps of modern Glasgow, um, the third or fourth most important city in the Roman Empire. It was a port um, and a crossroads, um, a little bit of an economic miracle. People came through Corinth from all sorts of directions, by land and by sea, and so it became very rich very quickly. Uh, the population was made up of people who were um, many immigrants, uh, ex-soldiers went there, uh, people who'd been slaves and uh, had acquired their freedom went to uh, Corinth because it was a city of great opportunity. It was a city of materialism and pride and self-confidence. It's what we might describe as a sort of a boom town. It had fame for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, there was a there was a games there like the Olympic Games, second only in fact to the Olympic Games. There was a theatre that held 18,000 people. Um, uh, it was known for magic, for medical schools, for philosophy. Uh, next to Athens, it was probably the, the, the city that was best known for debate and uh, philosophy and human wisdom. Um, it was also very well known for promiscuity. Um, being on a port, uh, there were lots of people in and out and it was famous for um, brothels. In fact, if you wanted to insult someone and, and speak about their immorality, you'd call them as, you'd, you'd say they, they were behaving like a Corinthian. So you, you have these two things side by side. You've got wealth and success and self-confidence and philosophy. And then on the other side, you've got a very seedy city, seedy side of life um, with a huge amount of immorality and, uh, and that kind of thing. So, so that's the city that, that Paul comes to. In around the year 50 AD. And is that how the church started? Was Paul the first to go there? Yeah, Paul was the planter of the church in Corinth. In fact, we've got two accounts of the way in which the church came into existence, one in the Acts of the Apostles, and then Paul's own account when he writes in 1 Corinthians. So in Acts chapter 18, he describes how he arrived uh, at the climax of his second missionary journey. If you remember, in Acts 16, he's been called over to Macedonia. Macedonia is the northern part of Greece, uh, places like Philippi and Thessalonica. And he had a pretty rough ride. Um, he'd been imprisoned and beaten in Philippi. Um, he'd gone to Thessalonica, things were going well, and then the people turned against him, so he had to uh, flee from Thessalonica. He went to Berea, and things were going pretty well in Berea. And then rent a mob turned up and, and he was thrown out of Berea and he goes on to Athens and he preaches at Athens. And there are some great successes in Athens, but at the same time they laugh at him because he preaches the resurrection. And then he moves on to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, he's on his own. He's left um, Silas and Timothy behind. So he's feeling lonely. 
He's probably feeling a bit crushed at this point. And he meets up with Priscilla and Aquila, who are fellow believers. Um, and he does a little bit of work, tent making. And when Silas and Timothy arise, he starts preaching, as he usually does amongst the Jews. When they reject him, he goes to the, the Gentiles. And you can kind of sense, even in Acts, that he's under a certain amount of pressure. Um, and, and, and in the middle of the night, the, the Lord appears to him and he gives him a word of encouragement. Do not be afraid. Keep on preaching. Do not be silent, for I am with you and I have many people in this city. So he carries on preaching and he preaches for the next uh, 18 months. And then he sets sail for Ephesus. That, that's the, the bare bones account in Acts. But in 1 Corinthians, particularly in the first couple of chapters, he describes what it was like when he came amongst them. He's feeling pretty bruised and battered and uh, he's made a decision. Um, the city is well known for wisdom and for knowledge and for eloquence. And Paul's got a, a, an intelligence, a brain second to nobody. But he's not going to go down the philosophy route. He's going to simply preach Christ. Listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's already said that as far as the Jews are concerned, the cross is a stumbling block. It's a scandal. As far as the Greeks are concerned, the cross is just stupidity. It's foolishness. It's moronic because the idea that God would become a man and then be nailed to a cross, that's just foolish. Paul says, no, that's what I'm going to preach. And when I came, he said, I came to you with weakness and great fear and trembling. You know, I think of Paul's knees knocking as he stands in this great city, which has this huge reputation. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He didn't use great eloquence but with the uh, uh, demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So he preaches and, and he does so feeling his weakness, feeling how frail and feeble he is. And yet that's what he trusts to, just the simple proclamation of the gospel. And amazingly, in that dark place, one of the darkest places in the world, a kind of a cross between Soho and Las Vegas, um, in that place... A church is born and people are saved out of that background. Later on, he warns them about immorality, which was always a problem in the church. Let me read. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Um, Do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He, he says, look. You know, if you continue in sin without repentance, then, then there's no hope for you. And then he says something quite remarkable. And that is what some of you were. In other words, when he looked at the church on, on a Sunday morning in Corinth, what did he see? He saw people who were ex-idolaters, ex-adulterers, ex-swindlers, ex-drunkards, a whole range of people. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were made clean. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, so there on the edge of, of um, hell almost, this church is born. Um, a remarkable church, a gifted church, a church that Paul 
loves very much. Mm. But, yeah, but a church that he had a pretty stormy relationship with, I think. I, I was reading 1 and 2 Corinthians in the last month or so, and lots of stuff seems to be going wrong. Yeah, 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 indeed. I mean, it, it hits on the head the idea when we sometimes look back at the early church and we think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in those days when the church was perfect, so different from the church today? Well, <laughs> you read about Corinth and almost anything that could go wrong went wrong in that, in that city and in that church. Someone said he had a love-hate relationship with the church. He loved them and they hated him. That's not really true. But there were a group within the church, as we'll see in a moment, who, who maybe didn't hate him, but they despised him. They looked down on him. They said he's nothing. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth and then he left. He went to Antioch and then he went on to Ephesus and he spent three years in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he had news um, uh, arriving about the church in Corinth. And what he discovered was that there were all sorts of lapses. You know, people had been saved out of immorality, but some of them were kind of um, uh, going back into it. And uh, things that were being done there really troubled him. Well, he was committed to, to Ephesus, so instead he wrote a letter. And it's not 1 or 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that he refers to. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, he speaks about a previous letter. We don't have that letter. It might even turn up one day, but it's not part of Scripture. But it's a letter in which he wrote about um, how difficult it was to, to, to live the Christian life and how they had to nonetheless live holy lives. Previous letter arrives um, and at that point they responded to him by sending a delegation. And the delegation arrived with a letter from the Christians at Corinth and uh, he's still in Ephesus and the letter asks all sort of questions and the delegation asks questions as well and in response to that Paul's a little bit shocked so he sends a second letter first letter the previous letter we don't have the second letter is the letter 1 Corinthians and he's writing it maybe around 53 AD three years after the birth of the church and uh, the letter falls into two parts in the first six chapters, he's answering questions that, that the, the, the delegates are asked him. These delegates have ride up and they say, Paul, uh, this is going on and this is going on. What should we do? And so he's answering those questions. And then in chapters 7 to 16, he's answering the, the, the questions that were in the letter that they brought. So the letter says, you know, what about this, Paul? What about that, Paul? And he answers those questions. Just to give you a few examples, they ask questions about marriage. Is it OK for a Christian to marry? If I'm married and my... my my partner dies, should I marry again? So 1 Corinthians 7, he's answering that question. He's giving them answers to questions about food offered to idols and um, how they celebrate the Lord's table and spiritual gifts and the resurrection. So he, he writes 1 Corinthians. And as you read 1 Corinthians, a little bit like Poirot, you kind of pick up the clues. These are some of the issues in this church. And, and they concern unity and they concern morality and they concern theology so so there's a lot of things that are going wrong in the church paul writes 1 corinthians and he sends it with timothy and at that point the relationship deteriorates even further um, we can't be absolutely certain but it seems that at that point other teachers arrived in corinth and we don't know exactly what they said but but the the, the emphasis seemed to be 
Um, what we might call these days the prosperity gospel. If you come to Christ, then you should be healthy and you should be wealthy and you should be happy. And these men kind of embodied that. They were charismatic in character. They, they, they were well supported. They were eloquent. They were gifted. They talked about having all sorts of visions and so on. And they, they said, you know, Paul, what's he like? He's really rather pathetic. You know, he's weak. And, and when he preached, you remember what he came like? He was weak and he was trembling. And, and, you know, he preached Christ crucified. Well, OK, Christ crucified, that's OK. But, but you don't stay there. You know, you get beyond that. And, and this, this came back to Paul. So he makes a visit. And in 2 Corinthians, he speaks about this visit. And he describes it as a painful visit. Um, we don't know what happened, but we know that they, they didn't see eye to eye. He arrives and maybe there's a showdown with some of these um, false teachers. Later on, he'll call them super apostles because they kind of they, they, they kind of paint themselves off like Superman, I guess. You know, we, we don't suffer. We're great. And Paul is pathetic. And, and he writes a letter to them. He calls it a, a painful letter. Um, he, he has this painful visit, then he writes this painful letter, or, 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 or in, one, in 2 Corinthians one twenty three, he calls it a severe letter, um, where he really does kind of don't pull his punches. And again, we don't have that letter, we're just kind of piecing it together. He writes, he has the painful visit, he writes the, the severe letter, and then he's kind of anxious, and he's waiting. And, and what's the response going to be? Has he won their hearts? Or has he lost them? And he's arranged. He sends a letter with Titus. And he's arranged to meet with Titus at Troas. And you can read about this. You'll read about it. We'll go through it when we get into 2 Corinthians. He arrives in Troas and, and has great opportunities. The door for ministry is open. But Paul can't, can't, can't go through the door. He can't take up the opportunities because he's just so anxious. He's just so anxious. He expects to meet Titus there and Titus doesn't turn up. So he thinks, what on earth's going on? He returns to Philippi and then finally Titus arrives. And the news that Titus brings is good and bad. The bad news is that the super apostles are still there and they're still maligning Paul and they're still bad-mouthing Paul. But the good news is that the people seem to have come on board and... and uh, uh, they want to be reconciled to, to Paul. And, and he's thrilled about that. He's really over the moon about that. So he sits down and he picks up his pen and he writes, guess what, to Corinthians. Now, now at this stage, I hope I haven't lost you. I I'm, I'm, hope I haven't lost myself. But it's quite a, quite a story, isn't it? Church is planted. He moves away. He's in Ephesus. He hears bad news. There's all this kind of toing and froing, false teachers coming in. Um, and it's in that context where he really has just heard that, that, that yes, we do love you, um, that he writes to Corinthians. OK, so what, what's, what does he write about in that letter? What, what's, if you could pin down, what's the main thing he's trying to say? Yeah, um, there are two or three main things, I guess. Um, it's, it's, it's a letter that's written out of injured love and relentless affection. He really does love these Christians. Um, it's the most emotional of Paul's letters. Someone said, you know, he writes this, he dips his quill in tears as he writes this letter. 
Um, some of the letter is explaining his circumstances, what he's been through. And, and, and so you'll find in chapter two and then in chapter seven, all this business about, you know, I, I was going to come to you and I couldn't come because I didn't want to have another severe visit. And I sent Titus and I, I went to Troas and I didn't see him at Troas. And I, I could, you know, I was like a cat on a hot tin roof. And then finally the news came and I'm so thrilled. So that's kind of the in the background. But when you look at the letter as a whole, it seems to me that it falls into three main parts and it's got three main aims. The first part is from about the middle of chapter two all the way through, through to chapter seven. And what he's doing there is really describing his ministry, what it's like to be an apostle, what it's like to be a servant of the new covenant. And he compares himself with Moses in the Old Testament. He shows how Jesus is superior to Moses. He talks about how tough it is to serve the Lord. But he said it's worth it because, you know, the things that we go through this life are nothing compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. He talks about his ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And so you get these two things side by side, Paul's felt weakness and yet Paul's passion for the gospel. And that's really the first seven chapters. And then in chapters eight and nine, he talks about a collection. Now, one of the big themes of Paul is, is, is making a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, where it all started, has gone through suffering and it's gone through um, hardship, it's gone through pain. And so the Christians there are in great need. There's been a famine. And so one of the things that Paul has been doing is moving around the Gentile world with the wealthier Gentile churches, like the church at Philippi, like the church at Thessalonica, like the church at Corinth, and saying, look, will you contribute to this collection to, to support the saints in, in Jerusalem. And, and, and you're doing it because, well, it's what Christians should do. We should relieve our brothers and sisters, but it's also symbolic. What it's kind of saying is that we belong together. Jews and Gentiles are not a different species. If there's a new species, it's a third species, Christians, um, that, that you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus. So the collection's very important to Paul. The collection had started in Corinth, and then it had lapsed a little bit with all this kind of toing and froing. So Paul's writing to say, carry on with the collection. And then in the last section, chapters 10 to 13, he changes tack again. And this time he's talking specifically about the danger of these false teachers, these super apostles. The super apostles, if there's one word that, that, that um, summarizes them, maybe it's the word victory. We have victory in everything. We have visions. Paul doesn't have visions, we do. We have miraculous gifts and manifestations of the Spirit more than the Apostle Paul. We are dynamic preachers. Paul's a pretty pathetic preacher. And we don't suffer. Paul's suffering all the time. And what Paul does, interestingly, in response is, is, is to say, well, you know, I, I don't want to boast, but I've got to boast, actually. I, I can boast about visions. And I can boast about gifts. And uh, when these guys say that I'm not very dynamic, well, they're right. And when they say that I suffer, they're right as well. But actually, suffering is part and parcel of ministry. Part and parcel of being a Christian, it's, it's an essential mark of an apostle. You think about the apostles, he said, all the apostles suffer. And actually, if you've never suffered for being an apostle, then probably you're not the real thing. So, so this last section... Um, sometimes he's pretty sarcastic, um, um, very pointed. But what he's doing is to say, look, these are the real marks of an apostle. I, 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 you're forcing me to tell you, and I'm telling you some of the things I've been through and some of the things I've done for the Lord, but I'm only doing it because you need to see what's authentic and what's not. 
So, so it, that, that's the kind of reasons why he writes this letter. Mm. And then, really, to finish us off today, why are we um, why are we preaching this book? I know that Clover is really excited. Uh, he has been for a while, I think, to preach two Corinthians. I'm excited. I've, I've read it in the last month or so a number of times, and yeah, I'm thrilled that we're going into this book. Why why can we be excited to, to venture out to two Corinthians? Well, let me let yet a secret. Every time we preach a new book, Clover's always excited, which is which is great actually, because uh, you know I'm excited as well, and and it's always excited. Every book, every every book in the Bible is there for a reason, and if you don't, if you really get what the reason is, then you can't help being excited. So so that's a good thing. Um, all sorts of reasons why why we're studying it. I mean, one of the things is that it's it's like a it's like a um, um, what do you call it? You know, do you have a chain of pearls? What do you have a when you have pearls around your neck? It's a pearl it necklace. A, a necklace of pearls. Yeah, it's it's got so many wonderful verses, verses that just are outstanding. Verses that people say oh, that's the verse that meant more than anything to me in the whole of my life. So, so my wife, for example, loves the verse that talks about um, treasure in earth and vessels. I think that's her favourite verse. Um, you've got verses that talk about us being the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. Um, you've got verses about looking with unveiled faces at the Lord's glory and being transformed, about how light and momentary troubles uh, earning for us an eternal weight of glory. It talks about what happened when Christ came to earth. Uh, God made him sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. Thanks be to God for his uh, indescribable gift. Um, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war, war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're divine to destroy strongholds. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then, of course, the last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So there are lots of wonderful verses. Uh, but there's a whole series of reasons. I mean, ab above them all, I guess, is that as we look at this letter, we're going to see wonderful glimpses of Christ, the person of work, the, Christ, uh, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, why he came, what he came to do, um, how, how his um, ministry is so superior to everything that's gone before, what his ministry uh, uh, accomplishes. We're going to engage with the, the question of suffering. Um, suffering is there right the way through this book. There are six or seven passages where Paul details um, why he suffered. There are probably a dozen reasons that you can pick up about the, out of this book that describe God's purpose in suffering. The first sermon that we've got this coming Sunday morning picks up on, on that theme of suffering. And, and Paul gives us two reasons that are behind the reasons that God help, allows us to suffer. Um, there's a huge response to, to what is very prevalent today, the, the, the so-called prosperity gospel. If it's okay for apostles to, to suffer, it's the mark of being an apostle. Well, it's also the mark of being a Christian. And, and we'll, we'll think about that. It's a lot about leadership. If 1 Corinthians, the emphasis is preaching Christ crucified, the emphasis in 2 Corinthians is living a Christ crucified life, living a life that is crucified, living a life that is in obedience to God, that bears the marks of the suffering of Jesus. And, and what, what do you look for in your leaders? Do you look for super sufficient men who, who've got everything under control or men who just know their weakness? 
and know how much they need Christ. We'll be looking at the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We'll learn about heaven, about death and what happens after death. We'll think about the resurrection. We'll think about stewardship and giving. We'll look at the work of the Holy Spirit, how he transforms us, how he sanctifies us. We'll look at discipleship, um, holiness, um, uh, how to be like Jesus. Uh, and that's just a taster. So, so all those kind of themes meshing in together. Um, it's no wonder that, that uh, both Clover and I are really excited about this book of 2 Corinthians. Um, I think the plan is, God willing, to preach it through Sundays um, this year up to Christmas. I, I hope that we'll get to the end of chapter 9 by then. There's a kind of a natural break then. And then in the new year, we'll pick up on chapter 10 and finish it off, God willing, in the new year. But, but um, by way of preparation might be helpful for you to listen to this podcast a couple of times just to get the context and then to read the book itself read read through 2 Corinthians you can do it in a couple of hours and um, just get ready for for um, what I hope will be a fruitful series uh, in a fruitful season of ministry yeah sounds like we have a a real feast ahead of us Um, so yeah we look forward to that thank you